for leaders and owners listening, I would say we're able to bring a large amount of, of entry-level folks in because we've poured into people like Jack and Dakota. It's taken them six or seven years to get to where they're at. We've been very intentional about investing in training for these guys and developing these guys and them having older mentors and they can add value, you know, because if you're just spending all your time coaching and, and babysitting and watching over the new guys and you're not getting work out the door, then that's not going to work either. Yeah. So, so there is a balance there, but you know, it's like, there's an old saying the the best time to plant a tree was 50 years ago. And the second best time is today. So, you know, if you don't have a Dakota and Jack, then you got to start now yeah. and you got to develop that person, pour into them so that, you know, down the road that, that they can then do that. Hey, Jason Zanger here. You should know more about AMT, the Association for Manufacturing Technology. They are the industry representative group that gives us IMTS and more, including bridging the gap between IT and manufacturing at their Silicon Valley AMT Tech Lab, expanding globally through their AMT tech centers in China, India, and Mexico, along with representation in Europe and Brazil custom research for strategic planning, and member meetups that bring manufacturing leaders together. To join the AMT community, reach out to Chrissy Hahn at AMT at chahn at amtonline.org or discover more at amtonline.org. Welcome to Making Sparks, the podcast where we ignite your passion for metal fabrication and fuel your business success. Join industry leaders and dive deep into the world of metalworking. From business insights to tips of the trade, Making Sparks is your forge of knowledge. During each episode, discover success stories, innovative solutions, and expert interviews that light the path to business growth. Subscribe today and grow and improve your company, and let's make sparks fly together. Welcome back to Making Sparks. I'm Casey Velker, sitting here with my co-host, Matthew Nix. And today we got a special episode where we're sitting with a couple shop floor... Gosh dang it, I knew I was going to mess that up. <laughs> you can probably just shop pick up there, line. can't yeah. you? Sitting here with a couple shop floor frontline leaders. Um, we're going to talk about their stories from right out of high school when they joined the metal fabrication industry to where they're at now. Uh, so I'll let Matthew kind of introduce them. Yeah, thanks, Casey. Really excited to have these two guys uh, with us today. So these gentlemen actually uh, work at Nix Industrial. Uh, one of our, it's our legacy uh, business that that we own and operate. And these two gentlemen here essentially been with us since school. I'll let them tell their story. Uh, but yeah, started out basically entry level guys on the shop floor, and uh, now they've they've worked their way up into a leadership role. Very very important. Uh, special leadership roles. So uh, I'll kick it over to these guys. We've got Jack Henry Hagen here with us today. And and Jack Henry is his first name. It's a cool Southern thing, right? Yeah, it is. I actually got four names. My parents tried to make it hard on me growing up <laughs> as a kid. <laughs> I always preface that with people. See his shirt even says Jack Henry, not just Jack. Yeah. So Jack Henry Hagen and Dakota Hunt with us here today. So thanks for being with us, guys. Thanks for having Yeah. So I think uh, the first thing I, I think we wanted to talk about was kind of them just let them kind of tell their story. So I'm gonna just gonna look at both of you and decide who I want to. Right, Dakota, you go first. You want to do your dad joke first? We can. Oh, okay, we can break fine. the ice. We can, that all right, way a Dakota. Bit. Before you get to have the mic on you, I get to tell my dad joke, which is my favorite part of the whole episode. So why are there pop tarts but no mom tarts? 
because of the pastryarchy. <laughs> that one's going to get booze. Yeah. Get booze. <laughs> Maybe a slow golf clap at the at the best. Okay, fine. All right, better luck next time. <laughs> All right, well, back at it, uh, Dakota. Do you just want to kind of talk about uh, what, you know how you started with Knicks, um, or even how you decided to get into the metal trades industries, and then um, kind of your little journey? Yeah, uh, I just right in my senior year of high school. I didn't know what I wanted to do. It was more of, I had no plans. And I actually got talked into taking a uh, welding class. And, you know, I only had one welding class before I graduated, but I ended up knowing the shop foreman at Nick's Industrials. And uh, I ended up getting an internship while I was going to go to college for welding. And I started working the summertime uh, at Nick's before I went to college and then I took, uh, I was part time for a while while I went to college uh, for welding. And then I, Matthew loves this, but I quit because I thought I wanted to do something else. And, you know, I get a lot of uh, flack for this, but I think it really helped me out because I went to college for something else for a while and didn't uh, work at Dick's. I uh, actually went for college for like law enforcement, but it really, in that period of time, I found that I really loved fabrication. I loved working with metal. Honestly, I think I love my job more than I ever have now because I have that experience of leaving and trying something else. And then I came back. Uh, Matthew actually graciously hired me back. Um, and I've worked here for six years. I started as a welder, went to more fabricating, and then I was a... I'm a, was a senior fabricator, more experienced fabricator, and then now I'm uh, transitioning into a quality coordinator and logistics coordinator role. But that's that's my career. But a couple of things, points I want to make there. Uh, first, on the 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 position you're in now, I want to clarify for the listeners that uh, he will be responsible for all the qu- shop for quality and uh, you know the outbound transportation of the product. Uh, across a site that's going to have what over 20 team members now so a yep. uh, 60,000 square foot site with over 20 team members multi-million dollar operation so so it's a very significant role that, that Dakota is going to be moving into uh, so I just wanted to you know sort of clarify what that that role is and then also he says he got flack about leaving and he did but I also want to clarify it was in a and a loving teasing way yeah. he knows that and yeah. and uh, I think the, the point to be made for all the you know other owner fabrication shop owners and listeners out there is that you know Dakota left the right way first and foremost, but you know we treated him the right way. Uh, you know we have a big saying in our organization: treat people on the last day the way you would treat them on the first day. And you know I think if someone's leaving the right way and you treat them with dignity and respect and wish them the best, they may end up coming back. And if they do come back, they do have a, a, a higher level of respect. For maybe for the trade, but also for the organization. And sometimes those are your best team members, the folks that have gone somewhere else and saw that maybe the grass isn't greener and they can be great advocates for the culture uh, back inside your organization. And, uh, you know, he wanted to look into a totally different career path, law enforcement. And, um, you know, we supported that. And and ultimately he decided, you know, that he wanted to come back. So just wanted to make sure we make that point too. I didn't know. I don't think I knew that you left and then. 
came back. So how long were you? We gone a couple years? No, I think I was gone a year. Yeah, I'd like to tease me until that was his lapse of judgment yeah. period. But but no, it really wasn't. I mean, you gotta, you know, you, you you gotta figure it out. You know, you don't know you don't know what you don't know. Yeah, and I don't know if I would love it as much. I'd always have that in the back of my mind. Like, am I am I really doing what I want to do, or is there something else? But now I know. You know, this is what I want to put all my effort and time into. Yeah, that's good. I had more to talk about that, but I want to go ahead and let Jack Henry talk a little bit because he's just sitting over there patiently. So, <laughs> uh, so Jack Henry, same question to you. Kind of give us a little background of like why you or how you got into this kind of industry, um, whether it was you know through a high school program or whatever, and then uh, kind of your little journey to where you're at now. Uh, well, I grew up around the family farm. My uncle, you know, I've worked with him. My granddad, you know, they they were 80-year-long dairy farm, tobacco farm, row crop, cattle. And uh, my uncle, he had an old Lincoln tombstone welder and cutting torch and stuff like that. And growing up, he would use that around the shop, and I would just watch him. And I'd think, well, that's pretty cool. You know, you can fuse two pieces of metal together, and you, you can fix about anything you need to that's broke or anything like that. And uh, I don't know, I was probably about 12, 13 years old. He uh, he gave me a cutting torch, and he told me to go cut up an old hay ring. And, you know, something like that, you, it doesn't really matter. It's being scrapped, so I could just play around with it, have fun, stuff like that. So I did it, and I was like, all right, this is pretty cool. I like this. But uh, I never really knew at that point that that's what I was going to make my career path. It was just an experience I had. And uh, so I got to high school. And I went to a private Catholic school and nothing against them. It was a great school, but they didn't really push trade too hard. You know, they were more four year university, you know, college, something like that. And I knew from a very young age that I was not going to be sit behind a desk kind of person. You know, I like to work with my hands and stuff like that. I went to a tech tech school and I just did a three semester welding class and Got uh, certified there. And even at that point, like halfway through, I kind of questioned myself. I was like, "Are am I sure this is really what I want to do? I want to do a trade, but it got to the last semester. And it was like, you know, it, that's when it clicked for me. So I went to work for a very, very small fab shop. And uh, the lady that ran it, she's a family friend. And. I could be honest with her. She could be honest with me. And she came to me one day. She's like, look, we're too small and you have way too much potential in you. I can see that. And I recommend you checking out this place. And I was like, okay. And she said, it's called Nick's. So I looked into it and here I am. And I've been here for six years now. I started out as a welder and I welded for probably a year and a half ish. And then I went into fabricating and fabricated for four, five years. And then about a year ago, I went into quality control league. Hey everyone, it's Sparks of Knowledge time. I'm Adam Schmidt with ProFab Alliance, and today we're gonna to be talking about CRMs. I would venture to say that not many fabrication shops or, or even machine shops out there are using a CRM system. So a CRM is a customer resource management 
compare it to your material out in the shop. You know, how much easier is it if you have an inventory management system? Well, CRM does the exact same thing with your customers. So to start out, you need to develop your expectations. What type of data do you want to get out of your CRM? You may just want to know what's my weekly sales volume and let me know, you know, when when I need to follow up with this customer. You know, so many shops out there, they'll get a request for a quote, they'll provide an estimate, send it to the customer and then that's it. Six months down the road, that customer calls and say, hey, I, I need this done. If you have a CRM, you can prompt yourself, hey, remind me to follow up with this customer in about, let's say two months. The last thing I would wanna say is just trust it. You know, we put in that two month due date, just forget it, you know? Trust the CRM, it's gonna remind you. And overall, that's gonna alleviate a lot of the anxieties and stress of everything that you're trying to carry on your shoulders. So let the CRM do what it does best. So both of these guys are in quality control lead and, and Jack's responsible for our structural fabrication location and Dakota is our custom fabrication location. They're uh, about an hour apart from each other just to give the listeners perspective. Uh, completely independent shops uh, in a sense of operations. Uh, the, the shop that Jack Henry is responsible for quality for, uh, we're putting out over 100 tons of structural steel a week. You know, that's a two or three semi loads a week just to give people perspective. And we're building buildings. It's new construction. It's a lot of health care, uh, a lot of higher education, municipality work, very big, critical structural jobs. And, and Jack is, is responsible for making sure every part that goes out is done per the print and, uh, and, and so is Dakota, but it's high stakes, um, what, what these, these young men are doing. So that's it's pretty incredible. One thing that you, uh, you mentioned that I want to make sure we hit on, you said, uh, as you were sort of discerning your path, you said, I knew I wasn't going to be someone that sits behind a desk every day. And, you know, there's a lot of conversation going on right now in really nationwide about, about trades and Mike Rose doing a lot of great work on it with uh, all of his stuff, but there's a resurgence in the conversation and we've talked about this before, but I think it's a perfect point to reiterate it that most of the conversation that I hear about four year degree versus trades surrounds the financial aspect of the conversation, which is also important, meaning that you don't have to take on college debt. Meanwhile, instead of being at, out of the workforce for four years, racking up debt, you're actually making money. And if you compound that and extrapolate that out over your lifetime, it's a significant dollar amount. And then, you know, in addition to that, you can make a really good wage in a trade as opposed to, you know, what you can make it in a four year degree, unless, you know, you're in a specialty thing like doctor and lawyer, et cetera. So people talk about that, but what they don't talk about is the fulfillment aspect of it. That if that's not who you are, if that's not, you know, I, I am a firm believer that, that God made all of us with unique abilities and interests and, and things. And, you know, if that's not your passion and your interest, it doesn't matter how much money you make, you're not going to be happy. And so I think that's the part of the equation we got to make sure we think about. Like Jack said, uh, I knew I wasn't meant to sit behind a desk, you know, yeah. and you probably could have done other things other than weld and been happy. But the trades was a good career path for you because you find fulfillment yeah. in, in what you're doing. So I just. Thought that was a good point to make reiterate hands-on you know involvement with anything is yeah. you know that's how i enjoy you know i just i can't yeah. i can't just type and you know yeah. like that. Yeah. <laughs> and you you don't have to you know people 
people need to understand that just because you wear work boots every day doesn't mean you have some unimportant job. I mean, Jack is responsible for millions and millions of dollars of structural steel fabrication uh, that there's a financial risk of it not being right. And there's also a tremendous safety risk. And just like Dakota, we build at our custom shop, we build a lot of structures and platforms and safety products that other factories, people's lives depend on what we do. And so, you know, it's like, it's not unimportant just because you wear work boots to work every day. I think people need to understand that too. I mean, it can be a very um, rewarding and fulfilling and a, and a sense of responsibility uh, for what, what you do without sitting behind a desk. Absolutely. Yeah. Both of you guys kind of have gotten to be a part of Nick's as they've grown a little bit. Um, and again, our audience is fabrication leaders. You know, some of them maybe have aspirations to grow like Nick. Some of them may just be looking to hire their, you know, first few employees, you know, right, wide range. Um, what are some things that you guys would say? Like if, if, if someone's like, all right, we're going to start hiring or we're going to, we're start growing fast. What are some things that you're like, uh, as people on the shop floor that you would recommend leaders, like just keep, keep an eye on, like keep a thumb on whether it's, uh, you know, you know, maybe do's and don'ts, yeah, do's and don'ts, you know, what, whether it's do with like quality or do with, uh, you know, maybe it's equipment, like, or maybe it's, uh, the way they treat you guys or, you know, when I'm asking whoever wants to go first. So, uh, I'll go, um, uh, honestly, my advice would be to hire high school kids. I mean, they want to learn and you can teach them right from the start, the right way to do stuff, the, you can instill your culture in them. And also they're usually fun to work with. You know, I work with a bunch of high school kids and you can tell when they want to do the trade and when they don't, and when they don't, you, you know, help them figure something else out. You really just, if you put your time in those high school kids, they'll really. I, I think uh, he said something there. You said they're easy to train or whatever. I will say like, even for my business, like the very first person I hired was right out of college, but it was like his first job. And what was, what has worked really well is that I got to train him the way I do things. Right. Um, not that they have to do exactly the way I do, but like if you're a business and and let's say you're the guy that's maybe getting out of the shop floor, um, and you need to have someone that you can trust, you know, yeah, it might take a little bit of time to train, but yeah, like having someone that for lack of a better word, hasn't been like spoiled or, or has been already corrupted by another training or business or something like that. That's actually not a bad idea. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I agree with that, but you also have to, you certainly have to have experience too. And so, I mean, I think, you know, for, for leaders and owners listening, I would say we're able to bring uh, a large amount of, of entry level folks in because we've poured into people like Jack and Dakota. It's taken them six or seven years to get to where they're at. We've been very intentional about investing in training for these guys and developing these guys and them having older mentors, uh, so that now they're in a place to where, yeah, we can have three or four or five young guys on, on, in a shop floor and, and they can add value, you know, because if you're just spending all your time coaching and, and babysitting and watching over the new guys and you're not getting work out the door, then that's not going to work either. Yeah. So uh, so there is a balance there. But, you know, it's like there's an old saying the the best time to plant a tree was 50 years ago and the second best time is today. So, you know, if you don't have a Dakota and Jack then you got to start now yeah. and you got to develop that person and pour into them so that, uh, you know, down the road that, that they can then do that. For the well, person. and that's, that's a good point because, you know, like for me and well, I, I, for anybody in this industry, 
you can go to school for welding, but you're not going to learn. I, I mean, what I learned in welding school is, you know, minute to what you learn on the floor in the shop. I mean, it can get you into the door of a company, but you, what I'm saying is like, you can't expect somebody that's going to walk in the door and know everything, you know, they're going to learn at your shop. You know, they, they can, they can get like some stepping stones to get there, you know, how to strike an arc, how to run a bead, stuff like that. But you really, you got to invest your time and into these guys. And I mean, if they're worth anything, then they're going to stick around. They're going to be the one of the best employees that you got. It's something else on that. Like it's hard to learn fabrication in college. You know, you're not building big pieces. You got to really learn that on the job. Mm-hmm. I mean, they can give you a good fresh, you know, start, but on the job training is beneficial more than I think college. Yeah. So what are, what are some other do's and don'ts that you guys can think of for other, other fabrication shop owners or leaders in, in the context of, of growing and, and bringing, you know, young talent into the organization? I would say, I mean, there's absolutely nothing wrong with growth. Growth is fantastic, but you can't grow too fast and not bring everything up evenly. I mean, I don't know if that really makes sense, but like you, you, if you're going to grow the company quick and fast and you're going to get big, you can't take shortcuts. Like you got to start creating different new positions. You know, you can't just keep the old, three or four that you had, you know, you got to look at the big picture now, you know, you're growing. Now we need three or four new ones and we got to come up with different ideas and solutions of how to become more efficient and, you know, um, just how to have a better running facility. How, how do you, how would you know or, or identify if you were growing too fast? What, what, what do you think that would look like? And, and also for the record, there's probably, not probably, there's been moments and times where we, we're going too fast. I mean, I, th- I think I tend to think we've got it corrected, but I mean, it does happen. But but I'm just interested, you know, from your perspective, what does that look like or feel like? Well, I mean, I, honestly, I guess I would use my new position as an example. I mean, for the first five years, you know, since 2018, whenever next took over uh, structural fabrication, you know, we started out like whenever I started there, it was me and three other guys in the shop. And that was it, you know, and we were not doing near the volume that we're doing now. Well, we started picking up high volume jobs and we were, you know, we did like Deaconess, you know, the hospital. And that was a massive, massive job. And we still had the same essentially positions that we had whenever we were doing jobs that were much, much smaller. You know, Prima- we, primarily meaning the shop foreman yeah, du- shop. doubled as the quality lead. Exactly. Which, which is typical in a lot of shops. And yeah. So yeah. It's but, not until recently that we've started splitting that. You guys were actually the first time we did that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jack, we, we did it in your shop first, but we split the foreman and the quality lead. And those are lateral roles. Um, and so, you know, the quality leads not subordinate to the foreman. Uh, they're peers, they're lateral peers. The foreman's job is to get production out the door and to do it safely. And the quality lead job, of course, is to make sure it's done right. And they're really the yin and the yang. You know, one person should be pushing production. One person should be saying, whoa, whoa, whoa slow down. We got to get it right. You mm-hmm. know, and, and that that yin and yang. So, yeah, 
that it I didn't mean to cut you off, but I no, wanted to make sure everybody understood that when he's talking about the roles being, you know, the same or different, that was the biggest change was splitting the foreman yeah. role up. So I would say that that's whenever we made that switch, you know, we were, whenever we were still doing, we had the same roles, but we were doing much more volume. We weren't keeping up with the leads that were needed in the shop. So we split just like Matthew said, and then, you know, now it's more spread out throughout the shop as far as roles and leadership. And, you know, when you say things need to come up equally, I think that means you've got to have the, the, the talent and the, 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 the key roles that you need to facilitate the growth. You also need the equipment and the assets to facilitate the growth, you know, all those things. And also kind of probably have a plan and know what you're going to need as you grow. Right. Like, so like, I think that's one thing um, Nick's does or Nick's industrial does really well is they know years in advance when they're going to hire a certain person or they're going to uh, buy, obviously some of the equipment is so expensive. You need to know what, how you're going to finance it and all that kind of things. But yeah, we do a three year plan. And then I would say, you know, 80, 90% accuracy to that plan at the end. But you have to be able to pivot and make changes as they come at you. But then out of the three-year plan, we do an annual plan that's very dialed in. That would where we would be doing things like saying, this year we're going to split the foreman role into two. You know, that would have been part of the plan. And we, you know, we work the plan and say, all right, we got to do step one first, then step two, then step three. And so, yeah, a good example. That's a good example of that. Thanks for bringing that up, Casey. You guys do um – a lot of like, uh, maybe like if you guys need to submit like an idea for improvement, you guys have a form to do that, uh, and, and different things like that. Like, what does that mean to you guys, uh, to know that you, you guys are being heard that in that way? Does that make sense? Like knowing, cause like, I think that's a pretty cool thing that like each, I mean, and a lot of times those ideas of improvement get implemented as long as, as long as like whoever submits it or, or if, like the people that are responsible for it have the capabilities to implement it. And they get implemented. What's, what's that mean to you that they listen to that? Okay, so before you guys answer the question that Casey just posed to you, we're going to jump to the next episode here. Great conversation. Uh, so just to recap for everybody, we've got two frontline leadership team members. They've talked a little bit about their career path, starting out entry level, developing into quality leads. And they're going to talk more in the next episode about some do's and don'ts and uh, some, some tips for other fabrication shop owners and leaders as they try to develop their own leadership team. And Casey, we've got uh, a little, little call to action for our listeners, right? Yeah. Don't forget to rate, review, refer. If you like this episode, rate it. If you don't like it, rate it, because that also will tell us that you didn't like it. Um, review it again. Tell us what you really think about it. Um, and then if you did like it, refer it to your friends. Yep. Share it. Share it, yeah, on social media. Okay, we'll see you next episode. On the the internet. Yep. Okay, bye. Well, that was a a rough one on the clothes.